You wanted more, and we'll give you more of Rick's Horror Movie Review Show. Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show, where we review all things related to horror. And that includes movies, TV shows, events, anything and everything that has to do with horror. Because we love that stuff around here. But you know what we won't do? We won't investigate things. Like that creepy noise in your closet. There's footsteps behind you. The floorboards are creaking. Is it following you? Is it walking away from you? I don't know. But if you hear that, you should leave. Immediately. Just go now. Why wait? Why wait and tempt it? Follow the rules of horror. Rule number one. You hear a creepy noise, you run the fuck out. It's just that simple. Anyway, welcome back to Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show. And today we have a, uh, we have a first. We have a, we have a different one today. This is the first time we've done a documentary, supposedly. Now, why do you say supposedly? Is it a documentary or is it not a documentary? Are you saying supposedly because you're supposedly going to talk about a documentary or you're not going to talk about a documentary? I'm going to talk about The Devil Made Me Do It, a documentary, quote unquote, on Netflix about the events of uh, a possession that occurred back in 81. Have you heard of that? Well, I've seen all the Conjuring movies. Of course I know about the devil made me do it. I know Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, okay. You're familiar with the story then? I'm quite familiar with the story, yeah. Well, this documentary is, uh, <laughs> I guess, uh, a reinterpretation of the events that occurred on that faithful evening back in 1980. Boy, we've been talking about 1980 a lot around here, haven't we? I mean, I think it was 1981, though. Mm, okay, well, you know, 8081, what's the difference at this point? Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, relatively close to, close to each other in terms of time, sure. But this is a different part of the country, though. That's right, this is in uh, Connecticut somewhere. So anyway... You know the show format around here. We're going to go back to the show format because we just we just finished an epic eight-part miniseries. If you haven't heard that, go listen to it. We did all of the episodes of The Fall of the House of Usher, every single one of them, eight of them. Well, now we're going back. And so if this is the first time you're listening to us, we have a format around here. We talk about the things that we like. We talk about the things we don't like. And then we do a plot review and commentary. But we don't do analysis because we're not experts. We just do this shit because we like it. It's fun for us. We love looking at scary shit. It's not really scary. It's funny, isn't it? Well, I mean, it can be scary, too. Agree. Like aliens, right? Oh, aliens. Oh, yeah. We should definitely do an aliens movie. Aliens. Them aliens are scary. Yeah. Yeah, I actually think they're far scarier, to be honest with you. Like, legitimately scarier than, uh, you know... Creepy noise in the closet. But anyway, still follow the rules. The rules still apply to creepy aliens. Anyway, well, then after that, we'll give the uh, we'll give the documentary or a movie 
a review. I'm sorry, not a review, a rating. But let's get started. The things I liked. I like that this was a documentary, supposedly. Uh, well, it is a documentary in the sense that they're documenting the, I don't know, I would say Colin Fox, but uh, I mean, I don't know that they're necessarily Fox, but you could say that word because according to them, they're telling the truth, so they should be Fox. Well, you know, I, I really, I can't tell. They seem so entrenched in their belief systems that uh, whatever they say is truth to them. But anyway, we're documenting the events as they experienced them or as they recall them or as they wish to tell us they experienced or recall them and whether or not they're telling the truth, the truth, they're telling their truth and they stick to their guns. And so uh, this is a documentary style, almost a documentary style film. Uh, there's a dramatic reenactment. And I love that, much like the Unsolved Mysteries of like the 1980s. You remember 1980s, 90s? There's like this show called, actually I think it's back and it's on Netflix too, Doc, Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I love those shows. Yeah, those were fun. They would do like really creepy, like dramatic reenactments of the things that were happening in the event. But a lot of the time that wasn't really scary like demon stuff. It was like people going missing. Oh, there might have been an alien or two episode in there. I don't remember. Should we do an Unsolved Mysteries episode? I think we have a lot of episodes that we think we should do. And one of these should be Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries it is. Anyway, dramatic reenactment of the events as the family members, the Glatzel family members recall them. I like the fact that there's actual photographs and audio from these events. Once the uh, once the Warren showed up, of course, but uh, it's very interesting to see. I don't think like the way that these people were famous enough. You think they would have afforded like an eight millimeter camera or something, right? I mean, they were already famous by the time they got there. Or I actually, they they also said in the documentary that this is the case that really made them worldwide famous. I wasn't aware that the Lorraines, that the Warrens were worldwide famous. Well, I mean, is that like when the NBA calls it the NBA, the, the world championship? I don't, I don't think they're world champion unless you're playing everybody in the world, right? I don't think the NBA says world championship. It might be, does the NFL say it? the world champions, world championships? I, I don't know. I don't really follow the football. That's not my sport. Oh, huh? okay. Anyway. Yeah, uh, if it's in that same sense where uh, a team that only competes against North American teams call themselves the World Championship, then Ann and Lorraine Warren are probably just famous in North America. I don't think anybody outside of North America has really ever heard of them, even with the movies. Um, but I'm not probably more famous now because of the movies, but back then, I don't know. Who knows? I don't know. Anyway, uh, things I didn't like. It was misleading. Documentary was misleading. It just was. They said that this is the, the case where the, the devil was on trial, uh, they said. Uh, but it turns out that the judge who tried that case never even allowed the demonic possession to be used as a defense. And as his attorney explains it, uh, this, is, this would have been the first time in the United States that uh, this using demon possession as a defense would have been allowed. But he emphasized that it was used twice in England. So I don't know that uh, that has any relevancy in a court of law, 
but uh, it's very interesting to hear. Another, and we'll, we'll dive deeper into this. Well, actually, let's mention it now because it relates to this. Somebody, I, it might have actually been Arne Johnson in the documentary. And Arne Johnson is the person accused of killing Alan Bono, by the way. That's the person who was going on trial who claimed to be possessed by the devil. Um, oh, what was I going with? Did you forget what you were going with your thought? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I totally blanked out. Well, moving on, it'll come back. Uh, anyway, not enough emphasis, I think. Misleading. So the, the devil is never really on trial. They never allowed the, the defense to use that. Well, they never allowed the defense to use that as, a, as an actual defense because it sounds silly. Oh, here's what I was getting at. Uh, it might have been Glatzel, David Glatzel, the supposedly kid who was uh, at the time, an 11-year-old boy, David Glatzel, who was possessed, quote-unquote, by a demon. He's very angry at the fact that we allow... Well, we must swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in a court of law in the United States. And we must swear doing it by putting our hands on a Bible. But they wouldn't allow a demonic possession to be used as a, as a defense. He's really angry about that. And you know what? I have to agree with that. In a different sense, though. Neither of them should be allowed. Why do you, in a court of law, it's a separation between church and state, right? I mean, that's the whole reason why the United States of America, the United States of America, was founded, right? To have a separation between uh, church and state. So why are we swearing to things in a court of law using a Bible? Why do we do that? That's awfully strange and weird. No religious text of any kind should ever be found, ever, in a court of law. Well, I agree with David on that sense, but I also disagreed that uh, they should have never allowed such a silly thing as uh, demonic possession to be used as a, as a defense. This almost reminds me of uh, the way that, uh, I don't know if you know this, but in the olden days when they were trying witches, the way they, they, there used to be this thing called spectral evidence. What the hell is a spectral evidence? Well, let me explain to you. If you had a dream of a woman and uh, you claim that in your dream she was doing witch-like things, that was accepted as actual evidence to try this woman as a witch. Spectral evidence. So let's just say you didn't like your neighbor. You know, your neighbor looked at your husband the wrong way. Well, now that bitch is... Well, I saw her in my dream. And she was doing witch things. Oh, Lord, are you kidding me right now? They would use that as actual evidence in court of law? Uh... Yeah, they did. Spectral evidence. Now look it up if you want to have a fun time. So, yeah, this relates to that. There should be no demonic possession used, no Bible being held to, to, you know, to swear people into telling the truth. None of that, none of that stuff should be allowed in a, at the very least, in a U.S. court of law. We are supposed to be separate. The church and the state are supposed to be two separate entities. I don't know what the Bible's doing. Anyway, not enough emphasis on the older brother, continuing with the things I didn't like. The oldest brother, Carl, was the normal person in the family. And it's such a shame that they used him in the last 20 minutes of the documentary, because I felt like this could have been just a 20-minute documentary. Tell me about the trial. i go quick five minutes. Tell me about what happened that led to the event of somebody being in a trial for murder. 
Tell me about this phony, crazy defense that they wanted to use. Tell me about this supposed possession. And you can do that in 10 minutes. And then the last 10 minutes, or, you know, let's make it a 30 minute. Let's make it a 45 minute documentary. And then give me another 10 minutes of how the Warrens are con artists. And then the rest of the time, give it to Carl. Because he was the only credible person in this entire quote-unquote documentary. This is the only person who I think was actually telling any semblance of the truth. Nothing was sensationalized. Nothing, I think, that, nothing that uh, he was saying to me seemed odd. Or at odds with anything that uh, we follow in any practical sense. But they, uh, you know, they gave him such a small amount of time. I'm glad they used it at the end, I'll tell you that. But uh, yeah, we needed more of Carl. Okay, I think that's it. Let's get into the story. Okay, let's get into the story. Is it story time, kids? Story time, kids. Now we're going to do something with the story. Oh, what was that? Did we just see something on the screen? Something behind us? I got the chills. I think it was just your reflection on the TV you saw your own hand. Ooh, I got goosebumps from it. Maybe. That's interesting. Ooh, let's do that song again. <laughs> that was cool. The show must go on. Anyway, the story. If you haven't, if you haven't heard uh, the story about the devil, made me do it. This is essentially the story of a man who killed his girlfriend's lover, Arn Johnson. Killed Alan Bono, who happened to be their landlord. And he did it because Debbie either had an affair with Alan or had already had a previous relationship with Alan. It was evident that there was a relationship between Alan and Debbie. Whether or not that was something that was in the past before Arn happened or after Arn or during Arn, it wasn't clear. But there definitely was a relationship between Debbie and Alan. Okay. So that's that's the trial that's the trial part. That's why we're going to trial because there's a murder. Now why or how is the devil being used as a defense? How can anybody say that the devil uh, possessed you and anybody anywhere could find that credible? If you got up and stabbed somebody right now, would somebody think that uh, you know you being possessed is a credible defense? Well, no, because you were not, uh, you were not the, uh, the victim of transmigration as one of the uh, orthodox uh, Russian priests that they showed as uh, you know, an expert says. Transmigration, by the way, this is just a definition. Just Google this. The act of transmigration passes from one place, state, or form into another. Literally, that's all I did. I just typed that into Google and I'm just reading you the description. And I feel like this, uh, this person who they interviewed, who was supposed to be an expert in these matters, did the exact same thing. So supposedly, the transmigration occurred between a demon that was uh, possessing David Glatzel into Arn Johnson. And we'll get into why. And so the reenactment part of this happens. Why is this kid being possessed? Well, his sister, Debbie, and Arn are boyfriend and a girlfriend, and they're moving in together, and they're very excited about that. And they find a house to rent somewhere nearby, uh, and of course, this little kid is not probably happy about this because he loves his sister. And they mentioned that in the story. 
And so he's forced to sweep upstairs, and there he is sweeping away. Man, why did my sister have to have a boyfriend? Now who am I going to play Clue with? Wow, this sucks. Gee golly. So he's sweeping the room upstairs, and this is the dramatic reenactment part. Do you remember that scene? How can I not forget? That house is so dirty, and the house was missing that drywall. It looked ugly. I think he was just... I mean, if I was up there sweeping, I'd definitely imagine things myself. You know, you're 11 years old. That mind is going crazy. He's doing things he doesn't really want to be doing. I mean... Do you know any 11-year-old boys who want to sweep up a dirty old place that looks ugly? I don't. I'm with you on that. Anyway, as he sweeps, he continues to sweep. Ah, gee golly, this sucks. Ah, I just want to be playing clue. I hate sweeping. Ah, why do I gotta sweep? Everybody else is just downstairs moving boxes, but I gotta sweep. I hate sweeping. This broom sucks. Hey, what's that noise? Hello? Who's behind me? I've fallen, and I can't get up. So the kid, supposedly, according to him, is sweeping. And he feels a pulse from behind. And I guess this is adult David Glasser telling the story. Not kid David Glasser telling the story. This is adult David Glasser telling the story. And he gets pushed onto the bed. And uh, all of a sudden he starts seeing visions and demons. And, uh, and he's possessed. And he runs out of that house. Or he runs downstairs and he runs out and he sits under a tree as the uh, reenactment tells us. Or shows us, I should say. And he tells his family that they almost leave immediately because, you know, he felt something bad and evil. And they do. The reenactment scene shows them leaving. And I also want to show this thing. This is also emphasized, but uh, every one of these people that is being, except for the oldest brother, Carl, where they are being interviewed, there is an enormous amount of religious paraphernalia. Now, we know for a fact that these kids were Christian, Catholic. They went to Catholic school and they did the whole Catholic school thing. And so they are imbued or indoctrinated with the beliefs of the Catholic Church. Use whatever you uh, you feel describes that uh, that procedure best. I mean, do you really want to say indoctrinated? I mean, aren't they indoctrinated by the Catholic Church? I mean, yeah. I, so we're going to roll with it. Indoctrinated. And that's still clearly evident Tons of crucifixes. Remember how we couldn't say that word before? Crucifixes. We kept seeing jeans, kept saying Jesus on the cross. Yeah, but I mean, it's crucifix. You should know that by now. That's right. So he's got a ton of crucifixes uh, as he's being interviewed and as he's telling the story of him running out of the house, running to the vehicle, running back to his house because he was possessed. And they continue to talk about his possession. And then... A scene or two later, there is a reenactment, a dramatic reenactment of their house shaking. And the house begins to shake abnormally. And nobody knows what's going on. And everybody's running. And everybody's scared. But of course, it's this entity that David sees. 
and now their house is shaking uncontrollably nothing to do with uh, anything rational or normal nothing to do with uh, any normal scientific explanation tectonic plate shifting a train passing by nearby a giant truck a convoy of trucks none of those explanations were ever brought up we just have to believe that the house somehow mysteriously began to shake so someone out there or something has figured out gravity and had invented an anti-gravity device that allowed them to at will concentrate an anti-gravitational force potentially a cocoon or a bubble around this house and affect the shaking of the house itself it has to have enough force to shake the house but also neglect shaking them uh, they're shaking but they're not shaking independently of the house they're shaking because of the house so nothing is affecting their shaking their gravity their gravity their gravity their gravity is unaffected they're still following uh, gravitational laws the way that anybody would uh, but their house isn't anymore so that's an angry angry house that no longer follows the laws of gravity what do you think about that well i mean if they invented some kind of anti-gravity device to be able to shake the house that way i mean that's that's an amazing scientific accomplishment maybe they should have been interviewed by scientists in the field of uh that relates to anti-gravity science yeah i agree maybe they should have uh maybe they should have been maybe that house should be studied by scientists i think the house is still there there's flashbacks with the house there so anyway also the trucks were turning on and on in the dramatic reenactment without anybody pushing the button so somehow also now assuming you know a lot about electrical engineering don't you i mean i dabble a little bit but uh tell us about how a truck would could turn on and off if it has an on switch uh without anybody physically touching that on and off switch well i mean i'm just going to say that on and off switch is essentially useful device that prevents electricity from flowing from the batteries into the electrical circuit and if the switch is in the off position there's just no physical way for the electricity to flow from the battery into the electronics that make the truck light up and make sound so it seems like a huge impossibility that a house who is under anti-gravitational forces would also somehow be influencing this truck unless there's other ways of uh, being able to interact with physical matter that is uh has nothing to do with anti-gravity devices but i mean that would be yet another scientific mystery that they'd have to challenge so i don't know i think maybe we should just believe that it was a demon because that science is just too much for them at this point i think okay well science is a uh science we could go the scientific route but you know it's a scary movie so we'll just i'm sorry this is a documentary we'll just believe that the demon uh maybe the demon just has a you know anti-gravity or the devil i should say anti-gravity he's figured out anti-gravity he's figured out how to interact with objects as well and uh, maybe bypass all the known forces of the universe including the strong and the weak uh, electro nuclear electromagnetic i'm sorry uh, nuclear force 
you're going to confuse yourself and you're going to confuse everybody if we're going to keep talking about this. No, I don't think we are. We got a smart audience. You're right, we do. We have the smartest audience there is. So we drink the Kool-Aid. The house shakes. The truck turns on and off. Mysteriously. And uh, now everybody in the house is experiencing this. And this leads them to believe that they are being haunted and possessed by the spirit that they found at the house that was being cleaned. Oh, shucks, I hate sweeping. Aw. I wish I had my fire truck. Because it turns on and off on its own. It's so cool. So they're being possessed because this entity followed them home. And as we know, entities don't necessarily just haunt houses. They can also haunt people, but apparently can also travel large distances at relatively fast speeds. So it seemingly follows the home and now wants to shake things, wants to shake things a little bit, wants to shake things up. Maybe it likes music. Let's shake it up. Shake this house a little bit. Yeah. And this, of course, this event leads them to call Ed and Lorraine Warren. And, uh, and they do just that. They call Ed and Lorraine Warren because somehow back in 81, this family knew about that. Well, I mean, I shouldn't say somehow. They would probably be pretty famous demonologists. And this is the time when people had like three channels on TV, maybe. At best, I think you had three channels on TV. I mean, I don't really know, especially where they were in Connecticut, but... But they must be at least familiar with Ed and Lorraine because obviously they were able to call them. So they called Ed and Lorraine Warren and Ed and Lorraine Warren. First thing they do is ask if a doctor has seen the child. And of course, nobody has seen David yet. This is, this is a new manifestation. David has been a good boy. He's been a good Catholic boy, a good member of the Glassell family. Just... Uh, Never had any trouble like this before. All of a sudden, you know, he we went to this house and he's, oh, shucks, I hate sweeping. And now he comes back possessed. A real tragic turn of events. This, folks, never take your children anywhere to sweep. Children, if you're out there listening, never pick up a broom and never sweep because the risk of demonic possession while sweeping, especially when you don't want to sweep, is real. Parents out there. Never force your child to sweep. You're risking demonic possession. Oh, that's a good warning. Maybe we should put that in the title. Yeah, warning. Risk of demonic possession while sweeping. We should, we should put that on a shirt, actually. Okay. So the Warrens have been called. The cavalry is going to show up and it's going to help them get rid of that demon. Jesus. You notice I didn't put demonic possession in my list of things that I liked about this. Uh, I just don't think you're buying the demonic possession. The things I have to take this different approach to this because it's a documentary. Like, I can't be lost in the story considering this is potentially my neighbor telling me these things. So I have to take it as a normal human being who exists in the real world while I'm listening to this. If my neighbor came to me right now telling me his house shook. Well, what I would first and foremost do is I'd look at the seismic event in the activity and I would say, huh, only your house shook? I didn't feel anything. Is there something wrong with your foundation? Do you have termites? 
Are you, uh, you know, are you performing in construction on the foundation? Just sort of rational questions. But no, nobody asks those things. Anyway, Ed and Lorraine Warren are on their way, and they ask if the boy has seen a doctor, and the doc- they have not taken Dave, little David to see a doctor. And of course, Ed and Lorraine bring a doctor. And this is where we see the middle brother, Alan, saying, well, you know, they brought their doctor, and the doctor examined him and literally said, all right, David, how do you feel? Well, do I have to sweep? No sweeping, David. Just tell me how you feel. Are you sure? No sweeping. I promise. Well, I mean, I feel kind of bad. My head hurts and I'm hungry. And of course, uh, according to Alan, uh, there was nothing wrong with David. No follow-up psychiatric evaluation to see if the kid had uh, any traumatic effects, any brain injuries or anything that would cause him to potentially see or hear things. But at the very least, mention the fact that this is a inventive 11-year-old boy who, you know, may have just been thinking about many other things that he could be doing at that particular instance instead of, oh, shucks. I hate sweeping. Instead of sweeping a dirty old house. But no. The doctor said, this boy is completely sane. There's nothing wrong with him. No further medical examination, in my opinion, is required of him. I don't know what else we can do, Ed. I think he's being haunted. And that was uh, the determination that there was nothing wrong with him and that medical um, treatment was necessary and that medicine was uh, not a fact. A completely healthy boy. No reasonable explanation. No explanation that science could provide for them. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, science can't explain everything. He's not wrong about that. But I really do think that more tests were warranted if this boy was actually experiencing hallucinations to that level. And what about the remainder of the family? Shouldn't they have them make medical examined as well, considering that their entire house shook and they're all in on this story? I mean, if they were all experienced the same event, that's a different level of hallucinations. But, but certainly they should have all maybe been checked out too. No mention of anybody else in the family being checked out. Interestingly enough, Arn, and I don't know if Arn was present at the time of the house shaking, he should have also been checked out, don't you think? I mean, definitely. After the events, sure, certainly. But anyway, this leads to the warns coming over. The doctor says they're fine, and now we must find out why. And of course, they determine because uh, uh, Lorraine is a psychic, and Ed is a demonologist. Are we demonologists? I don't think we're demonologists, but we maybe. I mean, I don't know. I think we should just say we're demonologists. I I think we should totally do it. I mean, uh, I don't know. All right, fine. So Lorraine Warren, the psychic, and uh, Ed, the demonologist, determine that the boy is possessed and he requires help. And so we got to bring in the cavalry. This boy requires the help of the Catholic Church. He must be exercised. And the only institution that can help him is the goddamn Catholic Church. No doctor can help. No psychiatrist. Only the Catholic Church can help. And only them. He must be exercised.
And so according to Alan, they call the Catholic Church, but it turns out that the Catholic Church, well, you just don't want sin unto the Catholic Church and request an exorcism according to Alan. There's a lot of paperwork involved. So if you're possessed, it's going to be kind of hard for you to get a exorcism because there's a procedure involved according to Alan. That's right. One does not simply get exercised. There's the process and there's the procedure. But anyway, they go through the process and the procedure after all, and they get what they called a minor exorcism. I've never heard of that before. What's the difference between a minor and a major? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a difference. I mean, what is that? that maybe they called it a minor because he's a minor exorcist. No, I've never heard of that in the other exorcism movies. They, they just call it an exorcism. We should do an episode on uh, types of exorcisms. That would be interesting. I think actually that should that one should really happen. The different kinds of exorcisms. Yeah, that would be an interesting topic to bring to the audience. Different types of exorcisms. Cool. Imagine we had an, an exorcism expert on the show. That would be cool too. Well, maybe we should get a demonologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should totally get a demonologist. Anyway, the uh, Catholic Church agrees. The Catholic Church is going to help little David Glatzel with his demonic possession troubles. Tune in next time. No, I'm kidding. And so they schedule the exorcism, and it's not performed at the house, which is typically where exorcisms, as far as we know, in terms of how stories are told about these things, are performed at the home of the person who's being possessed but no they actually get this boy to come to a local church catholic church somewhere in connecticut and they start to perform the the exorcism and of course the uh one of the folks that is performing the father the the clergyman the the religious person the person who is authorized to perform and there was more than one uh so it's minor but there was more than one priest according to the re dramatic reenactment anyway and they walk in and there's three or four priests, and they welcome young David. David, welcome. Welcome to your exorcism. Please sit down. Is the demon still inside you? Oh, shucks. Yep, he's here. Do I need to sweep this church too? There'll be no sweeping, David. You just need to sit down and let us do our job. All right. Will there be snacks? Unfortunately, David, we do not allow uh, food inside the church, and uh, you're about to be exercised, which is sort of dangerous. You you could actually wind up dying. Oh shucks! But does that mean no more sweeping, at least? Well, I'm pretty sure you won't be required to sweep in heaven, boy, because that's where you will be going if we're successful. I mean, when we're successful. Uh, but uh, don't you worry, little David. You'll be just fine. There's three of us here. You've got the dream team of exorcists. Oh, shucks. I'm still hungry. But I guess we can just get on with it. And they start to perform the exorcism, and they start to say the rites and all that good stuff. Oh, heavenly Father, who art thou in heaven? Grace upon this young boy, David. And help us exercise the devil from him. For he simply seeks to play with his toys and eat 
the family meals because his mother's Italian and Polish, so she knows how to cook real well. Help us, O Lord Almighty in the heavens. Help us exercise this demon from this boy so that he may eat those delicious Italian Poland, Polish dishes. And the exorcism goes on for a little while. And unfortunately, it's not going too well. It's, it's not doing too good. Not doing too good, little David. Now, instead of asking for food, he starts grunting and growling. And of course, that's the devil in him. Fuck you. I mean, fuck you. Fuck your mother. I mean, fuck your mother. That wasn't me, that was the demon. I'm hungry. I mean, I'll kill this boy. I mean, I'll kill this boy. And of course, not everybody's really concerned because the devil doesn't want to leave the little boy. But thankfully, thankfully, there's a hero amongst them all, and his name is Arn. Arn Johnson. That's right. The same boy who would eventually go on to kill Alan Bono. He's in the church, and he tells the demon or the devil. God damn you, devil. You leave this young boy alive. Take me instead. I shall be your victim. But please leave young David alone. For he is just a boy. A hungry, hungry boy. Take me. And of course, you're not supposed to do that. Ed and Lorraine Warren told him. Don't say that. You're taunting the demon. The demon. You're taunting the devil. I mean, it's it's written demon. We just pronounced it demon. Demon? Demon. Demon? Demon. Are you mocking my accent? No, not at all. Oh, you're mocking me now. No, I'd never do that. It's <laughs> a rough one. So the demon. Oh, you are mocking my accent. How dare you? It's funny. It sounds funny. What do you want me to do? What, what do you want me to do? It sounds funny. It sounds funny to me. You do me. Go ahead. Oh, no, you know I don't do voices. Just go ahead and try it. Say demon. All right. Demon. Hey, not that bad. You're getting good. Oh, really? You think so? Yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. Oh, wow. I never thought I could do voices. Try it again. Demon. Whoa, look at you. Try a demon voice. Oh, no, that's like advanced level. Just, Just give it a shot. All right. I'm the de- Oh, boy, no. <laughs> yeah, not ready there yet. All right, now keep practicing. That's the spirit. That's the spirit. Anyway, anyway. Alan tells the demon, Damn you, you dirty son of a bitch. You leave that David boy alone and you come to me. And of course, as the uh, Russian Orthodox priest explained, a transmigration event occurred, and if you're not familiar with the act of transmigration, that is 
It passes from one place, state, or form into another. So by saying, damn you, demon, you leave that boy alone. Come to me. A transmigration event occurred. What do you think? I mean, I mean, now you're just raging. No, huh? this is just a documentary. I'm not making any of this up. So, of course, now David is fine. Oh, shucks. I feel so much better. Do I need to be sweeping right now? No, young man, you don't need to be sweeping. You have been completely exercised. You're free to do whatever you want to do. You and your family. You may return to your home and, uh, you know, potentially write a book about this so you become rich and famous. Oh, are you sure it's that easy? No, that's that easy. Oh, shucks. All right. Oh, I guess I'll stop sweeping. Sorry. That's a habit. I actually kind of like it now. It's very therapeutic. So now with the demon inside Arn, the boy is safe. He continues to be, you know, an 11-year-old boy doing whatever 11-year-old boys did in 81. And Arn, and the story of Arn, picks up. So as I mentioned earlier in the story, or in this review, Arn uh, and his girlfriend, Debbie, are about to be moving in together, or rather moved in together, Did not into that house that the kid was sweeping, but rather a different location, an apartment now, somewhere nearby still. But they're working, and they're just, you know, living together and doing their thing, happily doing what they do. Uh, and then one night, one drunken night, because uh, there was drinking, somebody gets stabbed. The landlord, Alan Bono, who was there drinking with Arne Johnson and Debbie. And it wasn't explained in great detail what they were doing there together, by the way, which is really interesting to me. I think they would have probably been more of an emphasis on this, considering this is really the meat of the story. But yeah, as so happens, uh, Arne stabs this man four times, and the oldest brother, Carl, and the father and the mother are called in uh, to this location where the couple is now living, and they get there, and uh, Carl recollects seeing this man dying, and being able to do nothing about it. And of course, David is like immediately fleeing, fleeing into the woods because the devil, the demon, doesn't want to, you know, remain at the scene of a crime. Ah, you're mocking him now too. You're mocking everybody. Hey, if you were a demon and you just stab somebody, what is the first thing that you would do? Well, maybe I'll just leave that body. I, maybe I'll just perform some other act of transmigration. That would make sense to me. But not this demon or devil, because he's not that smart, I don't think. So he runs into the woods, and uh, eventually he gets caught up and arrested and brought into the police station. But of course, Alan doesn't remember. I mean, I'm sorry. Of course, Arn doesn't remember anything, because he was possessed by the demon he taunted in the church. And um, you know, the sheriff who, uh, who was there was believed him. Oh, you were possessed, young man. Oh, that's a terrible thing. Oh, but you were in an exorcism and an act of transmigration occurred on you. You should have never taunted that demon. And now he's taken over your body and, and it killed somebody in your body? Boy, that demon is in real trouble. And of course, nobody was going to want to help this kid out, but there's one lawyer. Uh, there's definitely one person who at the very least was interested in, uh, in seeing the case. And somehow, for some reason, uh, I guess it's interesting, Martin Manella, his attorney, is aware that there are two instances of demonic possession being uh, used in, uh, in a defense. 
And he's just about the only person in the state, and he said it himself, his own word, that would potentially even be interested in defending this kid. And the short of it is that they get to the date of the trial, or it's sometimes near the date of the trial, and the judge says to them, well, yeah, I'm sorry, but you are not going to be able to use demonic possession as a defense. Figure something else out. Oh, I said the documentary description said that the devil was on trial. No, the devil was never actually used on trial. No, but you know what happened in sensationalized 1980 America where the three channels you had on probably shut off at like after Johnny? I mean, Johnny Carson. Well, that's right. No. <laughs> I'm Johnny, oh, Johnny Carson. Welcome to the Tonight Show. Is that your Johnny Carson? Well, I'll try it. It couldn't be better. But, uh, you know, in the Tonight Show, we like a lot of things here. And, uh, Ed, what do you think? You have a Ned McMahon, too? I don't. It's Johnny! Oh, you do. Eh, that's right. Anyway, there's three things to do. And in something event like this, with some person, I'm not going to allude to their mental state, some person insinuates that the devil was possessing them and they'd in fact kill somebody while they were possessed by the devil this is definitely making the top story of the news the six o'clock news and in tonight's episode the devil is on trial more with this story is gene johnson gene oh that's right kurt thank you so much but uh you know this has never happened in the history of american uh defense but uh the devil apparently possessed this young man after being taunted and now he stands to be on trial right here in Connecticut. Back to you, Kurt. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to stay on top of this story because clearly there's nothing more interesting or important happening. And that's kind of the news in 1980. I mean, that's kind of the news today, too. Anyway, he gets the trial and the only defense that they can mount is obviously not demonic possession, but rather defense, self-defense. Which I think is still kind of shady considering that uh, they never described why this event happened. They never said how Alan could have potentially posed a threat. And the shorter end of it is that he was found guilty. 10 to 20 years. Isn't this just a case of, you know, somebody being jealous of the relationship that they are all either present or, or old relationship that somebody had with your girlfriend and just this you know, a little too much drinking one night and, you know, things got a little out of hand and you wind up killing somebody a lot out of hand. I mean, I, 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 that sounds like to me, like that's not something a normal person would do, even with a little bit of booze. But I mean, I guess this guy was not really that normal to begin with. That's right. And unfortunately, you know, the, uh, the circumstances on which it happened rendered a man dead and another one to jail. And, uh, and that's kind of it. But, you know, the, the whole convenience of being at an exorcism and saying that you were uh, the victim of transmigration. The fact that that even picked up any sort of steam to me was ridiculous. But I mean, 1980 Connecticut, what do I know about it? Something like that could be picked up today and be considered newsworthy. I mean, in a comical sense, probably, but I don't know. I, I'm sorry. It's just some of this stuff is just to me too much. It's almost comedic. But anyway, the kid or the guy gets uh, you know sentenced to jail. I think he does... I don't know he's, how much he did. So he did 10 to 20 years uh, of all of this, but uh, he was found guilty and eventually he was released. But while in jail, you know, interesting enough, uh, the sister 
uh what's her name debbie glossel actually married him so they actually got married like in 86 like six so they actually stayed together until the time of the death so sort of an interesting love story don't you think crime of passion that turns into a marriage in a prison and uh, a, a long long relationship of hopefully love that lasted until the woman died so hey good for them you know uh, i'm sorry that uh, there had to be such a tragic event in the middle of this love story but Good for them for continuing to love each other and uh, and finding some sort of happiness even after, you know, the tragedy. Not a lot of emphasis on Arn. I'm sorry, on uh, on Bono, or his family. They didn't really interview anybody that was related to Alan. So I think I should have seen. I think it's an interesting point of view or perspective. Maybe they knew more about the relationship between Alan and Debbie and why he would potentially be the victim of a murder. If I was conducting a documentary, he's or that side of the family or that character is somebody I definitely would have been interested in uh, in talking to. But ah, not my documentary. Anyway, towards the end of the documentary, we start to talk about we start to talk to Carl. And now this goes back to the exorcism part. And I saved all the evidence and all the recordings. I, I threw in uh, Ed and Lorraine Warren because I wanted Carl's perspective on this. Carl's the sane one in this family, in my opinion. In my humble, unimportant opinion. But he tells this story. This is a really funny story. <laughs> once the Warrens were called in, once the Warrens were called in, all this exaggeration of being possessed. I'm the devil. I'm possessed. I don't like sweeping. One of all this stuff is happening. He says, you know, when they called Ed and Lorraine, I thought they were going to come in and hate and help us. The only thing they did is sort of direct the set. Uh, young man, I need you to maybe a little more demon voice. And did the demon, what's the demon telling you right now to do? Is it telling you to call your mother a friggin' fat bitch? Well, I mean, the demon sometimes does that. Ooh, that's a nasty demon, isn't it, young man? Yeah, he's very dirty. He uses bad words. Oh, that's that's a devil. That's a real. That's a real bad demon. It's the devil. You got to be real careful because you know they say potty things. When you know a boy like you, you're rich, you would never say those things. But thank God it's the demon and not you saying it, so it'd be completely okay for that demon to say those things while he's possessing you. And we happen to be here capturing this with a tiny little microphone and with Polaroids. Completely okay. I don't think you would ever be in any sense of trouble with your family because it's clearly not you. It's a demon possessing you. Oh, shucks. Aurela Maynard, you think the demon can say dirty words without me, without it getting in trouble? Oh, absolutely, young man. That demon says dirty shit all the time. I've seen demons in my lifetime. Let me tell you something. They love to say dirty words. Oh, shucks. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware demons were dirty. That dirty demon... You dirty little demon with your bad words. I would never say something like, you fat freaking bitch. That's the demon talking right now. Oh, is the demon trying to come out right now? Yeah, he wants, he wants to come through right now. <coughs> Fuck you, Ed and Lorraine. <coughs> Fuck you, dad. <coughs> Oh, that demon's real nasty. 
And Carl was explaining that as soon as Ed and Lorraine showed up, all of this stuff just really taken to another. They were never that religious. The mother never really cared about being that religious. They were actually kind of wild and uncontrollable. They never went to church, but as soon as they started rolling around, they had the warrants. Now everybody's wearing rosaries, they're saying their prayers, drinking their milk, and going to sleep early, and doing all those things that, you know, they're just pretending. Sensationalizing the truth based on what the warrants were telling them to do. Leading on the boy to do things in front of the recording systems. And it recalls probably the most important thing. And by the way, I didn't mention this. Do you remember what the hat said, the dad's hat? They don't show the dad much, but there's one scene where they show the picture of the dad. Uh, his hat said, fuck off. That's right. So you can really start to get a sense for where this kid is saying or grabbing all of these bad words from. The father, clearly, if it's not the mother as well, but at the very least, the father. And by the way, there's another scene. If you were a sharp, eagle-eyed viewer, there is a scene towards the end when Carl is speaking where the kid, David, is now wearing that fuck off hat. Ah, oh, you're right. You got a real sharp hat for that stuff. And so it's not like this kid wasn't in a situation where these words are just being tossed around. I'm not judging anybody, but to hear him say those things on a recorder and it's like, well, where's this kid getting these words? Even, you know, the way that he's cursing. It sounds so, you know, you learn that stuff from your dad or your mother, you know, or your older brother. It's just so evident. But anyway, Carl is recalling an instance where the Warrens were in there leading on the boy. And the boy, I guess, got a little too dramatic with his acting. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm hungry. That's the demon talking. Mom, I'm hungry. Mother, I'm hungry. The demon is hungry. He takes up a lot of energy. Mm. How about some pancakes? Come on, mother, you fat friggin' bitch. So David's getting a little too out of hand with the cursing of his mother, and then uh, apparently the father heard, and all of a sudden he comes into the room, and he's like, What you just call your mother, young man? Yeah, you shut your fucking mouth. <laughs> Go sit over there. Come the fuck down. <laughs> and Carl's like, I've never seen a demon shut up so fast in my life. And that sort of, I think, puts the cherry on top in this story. That particular scene, Carl describing how his dad came in one night when that demon was just way too out of line and just slaps the shit out of David and just puts him in the corner and crying. And no more demons after that. The funniest scene in the entire thing, the most rational character in the entire uh, story and they spent two or three minutes. And the last thing I will say about David, I'm sorry, about Carl, is that he also mentions the difficulties that his mother had in controlling the family sometimes. And you can imagine t- uh, three boys and a daughter, four children in a household. As he was rummaging through their stuff when their parents died, he found a note or something saying that, uh, uh, well, the family had their medication tonight and everything was fine. And then he found, I think, this thing called Sominix. One of the things that Sominix causes, well, it's a sleep aid. Sominix is a sleep aid. And there are many side effects, and I just looked this up real quick. Drowsiness, dry effects. Obviously, drowsiness, it's used for sleeping. 
Uh, but there's there's definitely a ton of side effects that are related to and he alluded to weight gain i didn't see any of this the boys were overweight for for 1980 probably normal for uh, 2023 standards what do you think <laughs> oh boy you're real sure really not be talking about that kind of stuff whatever anyway uh so he himself said it that uh, you know being uh taking that medication potentially causes weight gain i don't see that anywhere as being one of the side effects of uh Saminex. Uh but the point here is is like the the mother was medicating them and maybe she was feeding them other stuff too so who knows and uh you know he attributes all that nonsense that the boy was experiencing to potentially being side effects and by the way you're not supposed to give children this medication it's only supposed to be taken or when you're prescribed it and uh you know he was being he's being fed to an 11 year old medication clearly says somidate should not be used for children younger than 12 years old for a reason maybe he just had adverse side effects that are not advertised and one of them was potentially seeing things or he could have just been an 11 year old boy with a crazy imagination anyway the point here is that this review is over we're gonna give this movie a six out of ten and the reason for that is because oh sorry documentary Six out of ten, it had an interesting revelation there at the end, but I never drank that Kool-Aid at all. I just don't believe it. I'm sorry. As uh, as truthful as they feel like they're being, I cannot believe it. And that's my opinion, and that's my take on it. And uh, that's it for another exciting review of Rick's Rated R Horror Movie Review Show. And we're going to leave off with this one, special one tonight. What do you think? Oh, you like that song. Yeah, I like it. If you know where this song is from, comment on the old Instagrams at Rick's Horror and the old YouTubes at Rick's Horror, anywhere on the social media pages, even on your, uh, you know, leave us a comment on this review if you liked it, but tell us if you recognize this song. Have a good night.